this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 15, our review of last week's Liver Connect and Nash Connect meetings, sponsored by the Chronic Liver Disease Foundation. Today's episode of Surfing the Nash Tsunami is sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, a clinical-stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for Nash. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmetarum, is a once-daily, oral, thyroid hormone receptor beta-selective agonist that is designed to target key underlying causes of NASH in the liver. Resmetarum is currently being evaluated in two phase three clinical studies, Maestro NASH and Maestro NAFLD-1, designed to demonstrate multiple benefits in patients with NASH. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com. This conversation focuses on key messages and moments from NASH Connect and its discussion of health disparities. Led by Naeem Al-Khoury and Marcelo Kugelmas, the group summarizes some of the epidemiologic data from different regions in the world. From there, the conversation shifts focus to the growing prevalence of pediatric NAVLD, the consequences of this trend, and the importance of education in overcoming it. This conference addressed important fatty liver and public health issues in unique, creative ways. Our discussions in this episode reflect the importance of the issues and the innovativeness of the approach. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. What I'd like to do today in the time that we have, and I know we're a little late getting started, is to talk about two things. First of all, the health disparities panel on Thursday. Now, Maz and Naeem were part of that panel. Marcelo wasn't. And and a little bit about how you thought that went. I thought it was, I'd never seen a presentation like that from a senior KLL group in a meeting before. So I was fascinated. Naeem, what items did you speak about on the panel on Thursday? Naeem al I spoke about uh, disparities in uh, NAFLD care in uh, South America and Mexico. And the uh, first session was to talk about different parts of the world and what are the key unmet needs and areas of disparity. So when I discussed, you know, South America and Mexico, I started, first of all, by discussing data on the prevalence of NAFLD. And we realized that in South America, they have one of the highest rates. In one systematic review, it was at 31%. But we also realized that the data is probably not as good as U.S. data, and we need more research to have more accurate prevalence data in each country. We discuss issues related to genetic variants, especially PMPLA3 that can explain some of the variability in prevalence rates. And then we discussed issues related to diagnostics, availability of fiber scan machines, for example. Finally, we discussed uh, um, issues related to the number of publications and how much research is coming out of South America compared to the academic institutions in the United States and the need to have more funding available for researchers in this area. I think at the end of the day, we had several presentations with similar outlines. So we discussed Middle East, for example. We talked about uh, Africa and other parts of the world. So that was the first session. Mazen can tell you about the second part of the health disparity uh, summit. Marcelo Kugelmas. I, I wanted to say that uh, um, th- that session on uh, disparities in, 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 you know, in different regions of the world and globalizing our knowledge about fatty liver disease and NASH is one of those things that is really spectacular about this meeting and uh, the kinds of initiatives that we're trying to put together. I think that that kind of work opens uh, the possibility to do what we need to do, which is to try to tackle this at the global level and utilize everybody's resources and the incredible networks that we have to try to tackle this condition. Mazen Nureddin. I think the next session was to talk about disparity further and see how 
Hakan while started talking about nutrition and the role of nutrition in disparity and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And food insecurity came as a major concept here and its variation among different parts of the world and different social clinical status. I did follow with the non-invasive testing and my test was to talk about with biomarker and if there's any variance in around the world disparity. So I started the talk with talking about the different guidance that we have, including ESOL, ESOD guidance, guidance from South America, as well as Asia. And then I went further and talked about if there's any difference in terms of wet biomarkers or serum biomarkers between different ethnicities. The bottom line, we need more research on that. Rohit Lumba followed me talking about imaging biomarker, same kind of story. There's some variation, but more research is needed. Finally, Stephen Harrison's closed the session and his discussion was about treatments for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and if there's any differences and he's talked about like how certain areas of the world are less included in trials although they have more uh, prevalence uh, he's, he's talked about improvement in the Hispanic enrollment in trials but that we're still not there yet uh, so it was really good session with a very good discussion yeah all right uh, anybody want to follow up on Martin I mean one thing that struck me at the session when uh, Stephen was presenting data from uh, clinical trials advanced clinical trials is to be the majority of patients uh, were Caucasian and we really have almost zero representation of Middle Eastern patients patients. And uh, when you look at African-Americans, other ethnic groups, and not that many patients are being enrolled in these trials. And this will have great implications when we're going to try to generalize the findings from these trials to other populations. So we need to do better. Louise Campbell. I think that's right. We covered that not so long ago when we talked about the lack of different ethnicities in clinical trials. I just wondered how much data was gained from South Pacific Islanders and Indigenous Australians, because they have really, really high rates of obesity, type 2 diabetes, food insecurity in the indigenous Australians is really high and the more rural you get, the more it becomes an issue because of the cost of food and by the time the food is available, it's really, really poor quality. So it drives people to poor quality foods and fast food. And we really have a problem in Australia with the indigenous population, but we also have a lack of data. There's a real lack of data despite screaming HCC rates and I just wondered how much of that was covered. I know we've discussed the Hispanic populations and some of the others but whether or not there was any information available on the insecurities there. I don't recall a presentation on Australia. If there was one, I'm just not recalling it. What I do recall was striking though, Louise, is exactly the same kind of thing you described. It's apparent in uh, Middle East and North Africa where you have countries that have rates over 50% for the total population, which is far higher than we see here. And there was some discussion in Asia about two ideas. One is that in certain parts of Asia, kind of South Asia, you get the same kind of thing. And in East Asia, what you get is a lot of lean, na- a lot of lean naffle or lean nash. But I don't recall Australia specifically coming up. Do, do, do any of you folks recall? No, I agree with you, Roger. There was not a session on Australia. But uh, one thing you mentioned, Louise, is food insecurity. And Dr. Fasiha Kanwal spent some time during her presentation discussing this topic. Even in the United States, we have many families that have food insecurity and they also live in these uh, healthy food deserts where you know they just don't have access to healthy foods and uh, typically you know uh, healthy foods don't last on the shelf as long they tend to be more costly and then even when you buy them and you have them at home uh, you know you can't store them for a long period of time uh, so these are very important topics I agree let me comment on Australia the first and last author of the Asian guidelines that I presented they are from Australia 
Australia. So I wonder if it was combined with the Asia region. I want to say something different, which is I think that there's a geographical difference in between where these minority populations are compared to where the trialists and the research centers are at and the kind of population that they reach. I can predict the future as poorly as anybody else, but if I were to try to do that, then I would say we're going to use the current populations that we tend to do research on to show the safety and efficacy of these medications. And we'll have to wait until post-approval commitments and phase four data to have local investigators access their own populations and answer the questions that will give us more data for the less represented uh, racial groups. This is what has always happened in the last 30 years that I have been paying attention. But I think that this is what's going to happen here as well. You know, Marcelo, we... um We did a Black History Month episode about a month ago, and it was a challenging thing because this disease doesn't have a lot of history, and incidence is relatively low among non-Hispanic American blacks. But uh, Donna Cryer was on, among others, and wound up talking about exactly that and asking whether, in fact, this was a chance. She talked about history as being prospective, and this may be being the first chance to get that kind of thing right. And Stephen was talking about that a little bit as well on on that particular episode. I know because I... did an interview with, with Zobear on this this morning to be part of this conversation that one of the things I think that, that he would like to see focused on, and I take from your comments, Marcelo, you as well, is changing that paradigm, figuring out how to get more folks into the more, more different ethnicities, the original trials, so that w- they don't have to wait five or ten years being told this works the same way in you, it doesn't everyone else, and then finding out that for certain ethnicities that's not right. What other steps is CLDF taking, or can CLDF take, beyond this discussion, which I thought was great, to, to try to drive awareness of thought on that on that kind of thing forward, do you think? So we're definitely going to move forward this initiative. We're going to try to get together all the different players to design solutions uh, for the future. Clearly, financial support will be key to being able to empower those who are the ones that really reach these populations to be able to include them in, in research trials. They are not going to come to where they don't get medical care. So we bring we need to bring the research to them rather than have them come to the research centers. It's sort of like a change in the paradigm. First step to any big solution is to define the problem. So I think that we're starting to define the problem. We need to understand the problem. And then we need to propose some next steps and solutions. And we are committed to trying to do that work. Fantastic. Any more comments on that subject? Yeah, I I was just going to comment in the context that I fully agree with that. When we talk about insecurities, it's actually really important that we take the research to the population. Because if you look, just looking at the indigenous Australians, and America is not dissimilar in the vast territory that you cover and the distances that people have to travel, in that around about 22% of the population indigenous health actually in the cities and have poor access to quality food. But when you go rural, that's up to 43% of that population. So if we're only addressing populations in city centres and 
in local facilities. We lose the patients who are actually most affected by food insecurity because they can't get it, you can't travel with it. It's always funny how a fast food outlet can always get the food to those areas way better than anybody else can. The important item there was we need to be more mobile. We need to get the research there. We need to get those patients. They are the highest risk. They are the population that we need to know best and most. And they're actually the population that we know least at the moment in all ethnicities and in all locations. Something that I want to add is that the first place with, that we need to try to reach and the first place where we need to start to make changes is, is, is with the pediatric population. So you can argue that this generation of adults is already committed but we can try, we should be trying to prevent this in children so that we, you know, can put a stop to this epidemic. Question. I've been coached by my friend, Ms. Campbell, on this over the last two years. Is the key to pediatric more about treatment or more about education or yes? It's education and it's public policy. Okay, Mazen, go ahead. No, I was actually going to call on Naeem on that as well. He's done a lot of research in the pediatric population with many remarkable outputs, so I'd love to hear what he has to say. I agree with Marcelo that the earlier you start with education and uh, changing policies that are leading to the obesity epidemic in children, the better. But we have to realize that uh, 17 to 18 percent of children are obese in the United States and another 17, 18 percent are overweight, and many of them have fatty liver disease. So earlier studies showed the prevalence around 10%. We have more recent data that we shared that one of the liver meetings showing that if you look at adolescents, you're talking about 20% having fatty liver. Of course, they tend to have less advanced fibrosis. Cirrhosis is still rare in the pediatric population. But uh, once you get to these, you know, 16, 17 year old with F2, F3 fibrosis, the future is bleak really for them. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with modeler par excellence Chris Estes and a group of key opinion leaders to discuss how the things we can learn in epidemiologic modeling can help shape drug development. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.